0: Hello, and welcome to the Happier at Work podcast with your host, Aoife O'Brien. The podcast for anyone who wants to be happier at work. We spend so much of our time at work. Everyone deserves to be happier at work. Welcome to today's episode of the Happier at Work podcast. In today's episode, I speak with Enrique Rubio. He is from Hacking HR and and uh, we had a great discussion all about the future of work and really what it boiled down to what we were talking about it, about creating happier workplaces, it already came down to trust. And I really, really hope you enjoy today's conversation. So Enrique, welcome to the Happier at Work podcast. Would you like to introduce yourself to
1: listeners? Thank you for the invite, Eva. My name is Enrique Rubio and I am the founder of Hacking HR. My my career started in engineering. Actually, I I am an electronic engineer, and I started working in just technology. And in, during my career as as an engineer, I, I at some point I, I worked in sales, and I found out that I really really liked working with people. But I didn't want to be in sales, even though everything in life is actually sales, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't want to be like in the profession of being a salesperson. So I thought to myself, what is the next thing or the other thing? where I can work with and for people that is not sales. And then I discover human resources. And then I, I moved out from the engineering field, and, you know, got my master's degree with a focus on HR, created a consulting company, then worked for um, some organizations in the HR field. And, and here I am. So I have been in HR for about 10 years now. But before that, I I had my career in in engineering. And and the coolest thing to me is this ability to bring two backgrounds that are so seemingly disconnected, right? Engineering and HR, you're like, you know, man, that does not connect anywhere in any form possible. But in reality, you know, the, the way I see things in the world is that the more disconnected the things you learn are, the more and the better ability you will have to create better things, to be more innovative, to be more creative, more curious, because your horizon has expanded so much, way beyond somebody who has been in the same field for a long time. So anyway, it's a long answer to say that that's how I got into HR, yeah. but my background is uh, engineering. And I love doing, I love thinking with both uh, brains, if you will, yeah. because they require different skills, different capabilities, different uh, uh, ways to think about about life and, and work in general. Yeah,
0: That's brilliant. That's brilliant the way you kind of came at it from from two different perspectives, I suppose. And in relation to hacking HR, so that's kind of how I first encountered you, Enrique. Mm. Um, hacking HR, like what, what prompted that? Where did that come from?
1: Well, hacking HR comes from, you know, people ask me this question very often and, and I, I go back and I find... Several several triggers for uh, for hacking HR. Trigger number one is I, I am passionate about HR, but because of my background in engineering, I noticed a big disconnect between technology and HR. Even though one should be feeding the other,
0: yeah,
1: and not not just one uh, overwhelming the other, if you will. It's not just technology over HR or HR over technology. It's a uh, you know it's a relationship in there where. A partnership of both fields. And I saw a big disconnect between the two. And because my background is uh, uh, technology engineering, you know, electronic engineering, I wanted to do something to connect these two worlds, to connect the world of technology and to connect uh, the world of HR with technology. So that is is one uh, driver, one trigger that made me uh, uh, or or, um, incentivized me to create Hacking HR. Then the other thing is, I went through a couple of nasty experiences with HR and and I said to myself, even though I was working in HR, but then I said to myself, I am an outspoken uh, person. I stand up for myself. I don't hold things back. I, 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 I speak up when I see things that are not working well. If this is happening to me, these nasty experiences are happening to me being the way I am. How, you know, imagine what would happen to people that are more, that are less inclined to speak up when something is happening to them or to others. And then I realized, you know, HR could be a great function. We have the potential of being something amazing, but we are doing a lot of wrong things. I mean, and again, I, I gotta say, I love HR because when I say this, people think like, oh, you don't like HR. No, on the contrary, mm-hmm. I love HR. That's why I'm doing Hacking HR. Yeah. It's just that I realized that the work we're doing is not enough, that the work we're doing has been, you know, more geared towards processes, systems, policies, compliance, rather than the human that is making the magic happen in the workplace. Mm. So, you know, the trigger of the connectivity between technology and HR, and the trigger of what happened to me, and how HR reacted and operated with what happened to me in those workplaces were the two of the main drivers. And the last one, perhaps, is that in my last work experience, I think that, you know, I'm going to be talking about being happy at work today, but one thing that happened to me that happens to, I think, everybody, I'm going to say, I don't want to generalize, but maybe 99.9% of everybody in the world who works, they go to work and they find themselves in a place where only a small percentage of the real creative capacities are being utilized for that workplace because they are hired to do something that these people can learn to do very quickly. Mm. And maybe they take a little bit of extra time in learning how to do something. But once you master that skill, workplaces are so rigid that it's difficult for the workplace to give these people opportunities to unleash their creative potential, their creative power into areas that go beyond the work for which they were hired. So that was happening to me in my last job. I was in a place where I feel that maybe 5% or 10%, if if at all, of my creative capacities were being utilized. And I had all this, you know, all this creativity, all this curiosity, all these ideas, all this imagination. And it didn't really matter how many times I tried to propose to do something different uh, in my my workplace. It was, you know, it was stiff, you know, things didn't move. At uh, you know, they, they moved pretty slowly. And I said, you know what, I need to utilize this 90% of creative capacities better because I don't I don't want to just be sitting in an office for seven hours out of the 10 hours that I spend in the office just looking at Facebook. I want to do something useful and valuable with my time, and that's hacking HR. So it's the combination of technology and HR is these experiences with HR that were not that positive, and you know, a little bit of the um using my creative capacities in a in a in a useful way for myself and for others of course so that, that, those three factors were the drivers for me to create hacking HR.
0: <laughs> it's it's really interesting Enrique that you say about this um the creativity and that most, let's say the majority of of workplaces don't allow for that. I read something on Twitter just this morning that was in relation to that and it was kind of it asked a question in such a way that made you think because often people might not think that they're very creative or they associate creativity with being artistic and, and that kind of thing. But, but I get the impression what you're talking about is more about being curious and coming up with new solutions and being able to do things differently and challenge the status quo and all of those great things that we should be doing at work but like you say there's not really that opportunity because actually it takes you maybe a few months to get up to speed on how to use the systems in that new workplace and then it's very much you just kind of follow the rules as to how everything has always been done.
1: Yeah, uh, you know, there's one of the most famous TED talks ever is by Sir Ken Robinson, and he talks about creativity in education. He says the following: He says, "We are born being creative and curious, and with the capacity to use our imagination. But creativity is educated out of us (laughs) in the school system. We are taught to follow the rules. We are taught to be obedient." We are taught to listen to somebody who seemingly knows more than us because, well, that person memorized more facts than we did. And we are taught to repeat the facts that such a person is, is, is uh, spreading out. And because creativity and imagination and curiosity are educated out of us, we drag the same principle to the workplace. The same thing happens in the workplace. Creativity, curiosity, imagination are processed, are uh, processed, are standardized. Are H R out of us in the workplace because we're hired to do one thing and to do it well day in and day out? We're not hired generally, more generally than not. We're not hired to come to work and say, "I'm going to do this thing," but it doesn't work well. If we continue doing it in that way, you know, what if we do it in this other way? What if we do it in that other way? What might happen if we do this thing, or what might happen if we do that other thing? Why not? Do this or why not do that? We are not trained to do that. And if we do it, which is what happened to me in my workplace, you know, you become the the insurgent, you become the revolutionary guy who uh, the organization doesn't want to have around yeah. because you don't follow the the authority. You don't follow the process. You don't follow the, the, the rule and you're not compliant. You are, as I said before, the insurgent, you know, um, you know, rising up against the against the elected officials in the uh, in in the workplace. Yeah, and that is the problem because at the end of the day, you end up utilizing way less of what your true capacities are. And I think, and I believe that we need to create a completely different structure, a completely different system where people are not just hired to do something and that's the one thing that they have to do when they come to work, but where people have a minimum of expectations from them to do at work and then they are given the freedom to create more, to be more, to, to, to add more value, to be curious, to challenge the status quo if, if that was needed in order to create new things. If we're able to do that, I think we're going to be in a great place. You have the example of Google, for example, uh, that... I think it's something that, that you know, by, by design, they allow people to say, utilize 20% of your time for something that is not necessarily directly related to your job. Uh, and some of the most amazing innovations from Google came out of that 20%. Yeah. I don't believe in putting, I don't believe in quotas, by the way, you know, in general, I don't believe in quotas. I don't believe in telling people, okay, one day out of the five days of the week, you are going to be doing whatever you want that can create value to you and to the organization. To me, that happens naturally yeah. imagine if i am if i am doing something that is for my job and i am in the sun, in flow what and mihai calls, calls flow mm-hmm. if i am in flow doing something i don't need somebody to tell me utilize 20% of the time that you're dedicating to that to be doing something else i'm in flow i'm i'm doing what i what i have to do mm-hmm. but some other times maybe 4 days out of one week i am so inspired by something else that I don't pay that much attention to what I have to do day in and day out because I'm creating something else. So let's, you know, not quotas, but instead of quotas, maybe we should be focusing on really giving people the platform to be creative, curious, innovative, to give them that freedom to, to, to know the work that they have to do, but also, also to know that they have a wide, you know, uh, sort of a uh, blank canvas, if you will, to paint things that nobody has ever seen before in that organization. That to me is the real concept of engagement, employee experience and happiness at work and meaning, of course.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I can understand totally where you're coming from, but I can also see some of the challenges that that presents for organizations or I suppose what I'm trying to get to is like, what is the first step that an organization who's not currently doing this, how can they kind of turn things around for themselves and start doing more of that and creating more of a creative workplace?
1: That is a fantastic question. And and, uh, because I do understand, you know, companies are like, all right, well, you know, we can be the hippie place that everybody comes and, you know, is smoking weed and having fun. And, uh, but, you know, we need to make the money because if we don't make the money, you know, we we can't keep you as an employee and we won't be sustainable in time. I, I do understand that to me. You know, there are many places where we can you know, trace back the beginning of what I'm saying. One of them is trust.
0: Mm. If
1: we don't trust the people that we're hiring, there might be two things happening in there. One is that we're hiring the wrong people. So if mm. you have to tell your people what to do, if you have to be micromanaging them, if that's the only way in which they operate, they are not the right people for your organization. Maybe they, are, maybe they are not the right person for that one job in which you have placed them. Maybe they are great for something else. But people generally, when they are inspired, when they are in flow, when they are fully engaged into the, into the craft that they have to do with their hands, they don't need anybody to tell them how to do it or what to do. They are inspired to do it. I mean, you are here. I don't think if anybody's telling you with a gun in your head, you got to do this podcast. You're doing it because you love it. Yeah, exactly. you, you like doing it. <laughs> no, so, so you know, I have to trust that you are going to make it happen because this is something that you're passionate about. Mm-hmm. Same thing in the workplace. If I have to tell you, if you do the podcast, if blah, 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 this or that, then you may not be the right person to do the podcast. Maybe I need to look for somebody else. Maybe you're not the right person to be in the organization. And that is okay. So that is approach number one, that maybe you don't have the right people for the specific job or for your organization. Now, I'm I'm talking about trust. Second thing in terms of trust is that if if you have the right person for a job or for your organization and you continue to tell them what to do, then you don't trust them. And you are making a gigantic disservice for yourself as an organization, as a leader, and, and for those people that you're telling what to do. You know, Steve Jobs said something like, you know, what is the meaning of hiring great talent if you're going to end up telling them what to do? It's going to yeah. be the other way around. Mm. You, know, you, hire, you hire great talent and they come, you know, I don't think there's anybody who gets to a job coming bored, you know, or annoyed already. Everybody, I, you know, this has been my experience. This is very empirical, by the way. But I don't know of anybody who comes to the first day of their work and they are already annoyed at the organization. Mm-hmm. They are inspired. Yeah. But that inspiration, as I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to paraphrase Sir Ken Robinson, that inspiration is taken out of people in the workplace. So if we learn to trust that when you hire great talent, they will do what they have to do but you have to give them the freedom. You have to give them the resources. You have to give them the tools, the time to utilize the rest of the time in a creative way for themselves and for the organization. Then I think we're going to be in a great place. You got to trust that they are going to do what they are meant to do. Now, if they don't do it, you of course make decisions, but you cannot begin from a place of, I don't trust Ifa that she's going to do a well a good podcast. So I'm going to tell her what to do and yeah. how to do it. Yeah, yeah I'm yeah. going to make it happen. And then I'm going to find out, you know, you know what I hired I to do the podcast and she's doing it. She's doing it very well. And I noticed that she also likes to do, I don't know, online training. Maybe I say, Hey, if you know what I noticed that you like to do online training, we didn't hire you for that, but you know, we want to create a couple of online trainings in this organization. Would you help us doing that? Because I know from what I'm, for what I, for what I've seen, I know that you're doing your job well, but that you're also passionate about this thing. And we need you to help us out with that one thing. Do you see the the connection here? It is is trust, but it is also, you know, unleashing that creative potential that people have that can be of power for themselves and for others. And let me add just one more thing. I I believe that in this day and age, people from all generations are inspired to learn beyond their workplaces. I, I don't find too many people who say, I am not going to learn because my workplace is not paying for me to learn. I think, or it's not paying for my training. I find people, uh, you know, I, I see people finding ways to train and, and to learn and to reskill and upskill themselves in very different ways by watching, by reading books, by watching YouTube videos, by reading news and whatnot. So, this is the thing. If I know if I is great in doing podcasting, and, and I have observed that you dedicate a lot of your time to learn how to do online training, and I'm not even paying for that. Isn't it stupid from my end as an organization, not to ask you to help me to do something that you already know how to do, that is a skill that you have that it didn't pay for you to get? Do you know, do you know what I'm saying? It's like, how how idiotic, how stupid it is to not utilize the skills and capabilities that somebody already has, that that person invested in themselves mm-hmm. uh, or in, in, in him or herself, you know, on their own. It's stupid to me that we don't, take advantage of that. Right. And we don't, (laughs) that's what happens in the workplace. We don't. So anyway, to me, the, 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 one of the main factors that could drive this kind of new thinking is trust your people. And if you don't trust them, it's either because you're making a mistake or because you didn't hire right.
0: Mm. Or, well, I mean, I have so much to say about everything you've said there. Um, it was interesting. You were saying about the, like, say if I'm the right person versus the wrong person to do the podcast, you know, in, in this kind of scenario that we were talking about. And if I'm, if I'm procrastinating and kind of leaving it till the last minute, maybe I'm not the right person to do that because it's not something I enjoy. And I'm just putting it kind of further and further away. So that was something that, that struck me. Um, Then this whole idea of, not trusting in in relation to telling people what they have to do rather than seeking out okay so we hired you because you're so good now why don't you show us how good you are and bring us the ideas and you know that's why we hired you and going back to what Steve Jobs said there Um, and then this this whole idea of companies not taking full advantage of the skills that people have and I think that is it's so prevalent at the moment and I have definitely experienced it firsthand, you know, having, I've lived and I've worked all over, um, I don't want to say all over the world, but I've I've worked and lived in lots and lots of different countries and I have often felt that that the skills that I have were not necessarily tapped into by the organization or they mm. weren't necessary or they weren't made aware of it or, you know, I always kind of felt a little bit like that. Um what, what can we do about that? Is that kind of, does that boil down to the individual manager? And then, you know, when you're talking about managers, is is that a case of if someone's micromanaging, is that because they haven't learned how to be a proper manager? Is that because they shouldn't really be a manager at all? Um, That's a good question. lots, Lots and lots to get into there.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a lot to unpack in there and I, I was just looking it up. I just I just didn't remember how what was the the right uh, quote, but there's the quote that is attributed to Albert Einstein. And it says something like, you know, everybody is a genius, but if you if you judge a fish for yeah. its ability to climb a tree, yeah. then the fish is going to live its whole life thinking that you know he's a stupid. Yeah. And you know, going back to what you said about the podcast, it goes uh, you know along the same ways, right? It is there are people that are well suited to, you know, to doing some kind of things and not for others. And and it's not because they are incapable of doing those other things. It's, it may be just because they are not, they don't find passion in doing those things. Yeah. And to me, it's hiring the right people means also hiring the people that are passionate about the work that they will need to be doing. That mm-hmm. to me is powerful. And you don't see that in a resume Hardly ever you can find that in an interview. You, you got to see what people do and how, to, how, how they operate. I think the fact that, you know, if you're passionate about doing podcasts, but you dislike doing online training, for example, and I put you to do online training. I mean, maybe that's your job and you're going to do it because they pay you to do that. But I don't think your creative juices are going to be flowing like lava out of a volcano, mm. you know, when you're doing that, because it's not your thing. And so there, there's a little bit of a combination in there of who's the culprit of why those kind of things happen. One is of course the leadership. And I say leadership, not because they are not, not because their inability to find out what's happening, but because their inability to create a space where people can actually say, you know, what Enrique, I, I love doing the podcast, but I really suck at the, at the online training that you are asking me to do. And I suck at it because I don't like it. You know, I, you know, ask me to do something else. You know, like these are the things, this is the portfolio of things that I am great at. You're asking me to do something that I am, that I can do and I'm going to do it well because you're paying me to do it, but that's not where my passions are. That's not where my creative juices can uh, can flow. So ask me to do it. I'm going to do it. But if you instead, you know, put me to do this, some other things, I'm going to be way better and I'm going to deliver much more value in there. So it's a leadership problem because of one their inability to, to understand people in that way, but also their inability to create the environment where people can vulnerably and openly come forward and say those kind of things. Now, you also talked a little bit about the example of people doing, of micromanagers mm. uh, in the workplace. Uh, this, is a, this is a big one for me because, you know, I, I've had several micromanagers along my career and, and I think there are several things that explain why they behave that way. Uh, one of them, perhaps the easiest you know, thing to point out is they lack the skills to be good leaders, mm. right? But I have found that very often some of these micromanagers, they have gone through training, they have gone through reskilling skilling programs, they have gone through a lot of education to help them become better leaders instead of micromanagers. And they continue to behave in the same way. So to me, Yes, they may not have the tools to become great leaders, but there's something else in there. And that something else is a more human factor. It's lack of trust in their people. It's insecurity about not only the deliverables of their team, but their own stance or or, or the way they, they are seen or perceived by the organization. Maybe they are insecure about... You know, what happens if somebody else is shining in the team rather than themselves? I had a leader like that, you know, she would, we would create something and she would say, thank you for that. I am going to go to the meeting with the big boss and present this thing. Mm-hmm. It's very anecdotal, by the way, but um, it happens to a lot of people that, yeah. you know, the credit gets stolen from them by the micromanager and that micromanager is presenting that whatever, you know, uh, thing to, you know, higher leadership Uh, if it was something that that person was leading or doing by, by him or herself. And I think that's a lot of, there's a lot of um, insecurity in there, if you will. Yeah. So I think this requires a lot of coaching. You know, it, it doesn't require traditional learning. It's not just, it's not just enough to, to put these people through a learning program or through, you know, whether online or in person or whatever, I think they need a lot of coaching. They need to be way more aware and the reality is the following. Netflix has this culture where they have high-performing teams. If they bring somebody and that somebody is not performing at the level that the team and the organization needs the person to be performing, they, they you know, in a very polite way, they address the challenge. But if the challenge continues, they let that person go. And this is why. If you have a team of high performers and you bring an average or low performer in that one role or that one team and you don't do anything about it, which happens very often in many organizations, if you don't do anything about it, what's going to happen is that the entire performance of the team will start decreasing because everybody else will say, you know what? I mean, if I put together 20 podcasts a day, Enrique puts together one, why am I going to, you know, work my ass off doing 20 podcasts a day? If Enrique is still here, just doing one, you know what, next week I'm going to do just 10. So your performance starts to go down and down. Mm. So those problems need to be addressed. Mm. So in leadership, it's the same thing. If you're coaching somebody, if you are providing them with the tools to become more aware about the shortcomings as a leader. And the problem continues and the team is decreasing their, their, their performance. You know, the outcome is is not as, uh, uh, the quality is not as valuable as you want it to be. And you have addressed this problem. You have to let the leader, leader go. And this is a hard choice, but it's, you know, it's, you you are, for you it is whether you want to sacrifice the performance of an entire team and the outcome of an organization versus the one person that may be bringing the entire a house down so so that to me is a little bit of um of what's happening with with leaders i think it's a uh, uh it's critical that we have uh, that we have great leaders at work and let me just add one last thing in this in this uh, uh regards jim collins in the book from good to great yeah he, he said the following he said great people are motivated and inspired your role as a leader is not to motivate them or to inspire them. Your role is to not demotivate them or <laughs> uninspire them. You know, and that's exactly what happens very often in the workplace yeah. when you have a micromanager. You know, if I am today's my day one, I am more I am all enthusiastic about starting my work in the in the organization where I'm going to be working, and then I get there and I have somebody telling me all the time, every day, what to do, how to do it, when to do it. You know, the enthusiasm and the inspiration that I had is being killed right away by that that approach to leadership. So, their role is to make sure that I have the tools to operate, that the obstacles are being removed, that I'm being coached, that I'm being mentored, that I'm being acknowledged for my contribution, that I'm being helped when I need help. That to me is the role of a leadership. And uh, there's one. Very interesting research done in the 1950s by, 1950s by, um, I think his name was, he was a teacher, uh, Sanford Neville, if I remember correctly. He, I don't know if you know, he talks about four quadrants in which people operate and the two uh, axes of the quadrants are support and challenge. And basically what uh, uh, Neville Samford said, uh, said, if that's his name, I can't remember uh, it, totally if that's his name. He says that leaders have to provide the right balance of challenge and support. And what that means is that if they provide more support than challenge, you may be getting bored. And you're getting bored because you are not finding the the challenge of doing something, if you will. You're not finding the, 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 the spark into learning something new, if you're getting all that extra support that you don't need. Now, if you're being challenged way beyond your capabilities, you're going to get frustrated because you're going to go to a point where you don't really know how to do something, but you're being pushed to do it. Mm. So what leaders do is to provide the right level of support so that you are, you know, you have somebody in there who is with you when you need that person, but also the right level of challenge so that you're constantly improving in your craft, if you will. Yeah. Uh, so all of these things, I think, are important. I, that was a long, long answer to your question. By the way,
0: <laughs> <laughs> what brilliant! I mean, a ten minute
1: answer to your to your question. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it was more of a kind of um, dialogue, I suppose, about what I said and and something that that really struck me in everything that you've said, Enrique, is this concept of trust. So you were talking about it's up to leaders to create that space where people feel safe. Uh, to come forward and say, actually, you know what, I'm not really utilising my skills or I'm not really enjoying this aspect of the role. Is there something that we can do here? Um, and I'm sure you'll know as well, you know, from your research and, and things like that, it's, it's this concept of psychological safety would be the kind yep. of the academic term that we use. Um, I love that you said about awareness as well and for people to be aware and, you know... I suppose I don't know how, how do you how do you enable or facilitate other people to be aware and maybe that's maybe the answer is coaching maybe it's asking questions and and people kind of um, grasp the concepts themselves or grasp what it is that they're actually doing if they if they've been micromanaging and I love this idea of the support and balance this sorry the support and challenge and, and kind of finding yeah. the balance between those two things I think that's really really important I'll look that up and I can add in um the the reference if it's not Neville Sanford's I'll find it anyway and I, I can put in a reference to it into the, the show notes anyway um but just kind of just something that we haven't spoken about yet is the future of work and what what that actually means in the current climate in the situations that we find ourselves in or the, the situation that we find ourselves in at the moment and being COVID-19 global pandemic most people working from home some people in Ireland starting to trickle back into the office in in kind of a safe environments and socially distanced and all of that kind of stuff it's starting to to kind of open things up a little bit more in Ireland but I do know of a lot of offices that won't be going back till September and others that won't be going back till January next year at the very earliest so it's it's had a huge impact on the economies globally on businesses on how we work and I'd love to get your perspective on what you think this presents in terms of challenges and opportunities for organizations to create better workplaces
1: yeah absolutely well the first thing that I want to say is the name of the guy is Nevit Stanford okay Never. I just, I, I had to look it up. I just couldn't go on my, you know, through my day without looking it up.
0: <laughs> yeah. Talking
1: about talking about being uh, driven to, you know, find some answers, right? Oh yeah, and, yeah,
0: yeah. I can yeah, totally I can, relate to that.
1: Yeah, it's like, you know, I, I have it right in here and I, I gotta find it. I <laughs> can't live with myself if I don't find it. Um, all right. So Navy Sanford for, you know, for your listeners who may be interested in, in, in looking at the theory of support and challenge and very related to, the idea of flow by Mihai Mihaly Mihai, who is you know he wrote this book called flow and creativity just, this guy is you know he's just in another category of of humans if you will you know he's so advanced in his thinking but you know going back to your idea of, of all the things that are going on right now I think there has never been a greater opportunity for us to do things differently and to evolve and to transform the way we work and live if you will and I, I do want to acknowledge that what we're going through is a catastrophe. It is a mm-hmm. tragedy from all the ends that you try to look at it. Uh, it's a tragedy. It's a catastrophe. It's painful for a lot of people. People are suffering because they themselves are sick or because they have lo- lost loved ones or they are financially struggling. So if if I was to if I was to design how I would want the the changes in the workplace and life to happen, I would have never designed something where people were going to suffer for us mm-hmm. to be able to change. Uh, and, and I got to say that because I, I don't want to be oblivious to the fact that there are people out there in, in a lot of distress, in dire situations, and, and, and we have to be you know, cognizant about that. Absolutely. Now, we are in the middle of all this mess, and we're in the middle of all this suffering. So to me, the worst thing that we can do is to let it go uh, in vain to let it go, wasting the opportunities that this crisis is presenting to us. And actually, quoting Albert Einstein again, he said that the best of people, the best progress, the, the best creativity comes out from times of crisis. And I'm paraphrasing him. Um, and, and it's true because now we're forced to think differently about basically everything, about how we relate to other humans, about how we work, about you know life in general and, and whatnot. And I, I've been saying that in, in this crisis, uh, we, we, we are in a dark tunnel right now. You know, we're moving in a very dark tunnel. It's a very dark page in, in the history of humanity. And we left a light behind, you know, the light that we left when we entered the tunnel. People always say, I want to see the light at the end of the tunnel. I say the same thing, but I also add to that that I don't want that light to be the same light that we left behind. Because then we would have, we would have wasted all the darkness through that tunnel, if you will, which is the pain and suffering that we're going through right now. So one of the things that I mean by that is that this will become a wasted opportunity if we don't transform the way people work. And let me go back to one example of all the things that are changing, and that's trust. In the United States, 2% of the people were were working remote, full-time remote before the pandemic hit uh, America. Now it is something like about 40%. When you examine the rationale of why people couldn't work from home before, mm. you find the stupidest ideas or the stupidest reasons that you can think of. And, oh, because we don't have the tools or because of that, or because, yeah, we, you know, we talk to each other when we're in the office and that's how we collaborate, blah, blah, blah. We don't have an alternative right now and people have to be working from home. Mm. To me, it really was always about trust, that I didn't trust my people that they were going to be working and doing the right thing when they were at home. That was to me the big thing because right now, in in literally, a, you know, from March uh, 10th or something like that, when when uh, you know the crisis started in America, to the end of March, many companies were already operating from home. So, in basically a period of three or four weeks, they found the tools, they found the ways to talk to each other, they found the way to collaborate, they found all the answers to the questions that they that they before said that they couldn't uh, be responded. So the reality is that, in my view, it was a matter of trust, one of them. I mean, and that, to me, perhaps is the most powerful one. So we have built a new way of work, and we are letting people work remotely. We're trusting more in them. We know that they are doing the work because our organizations are struggling, but they are surviving. So I think that just like remote work, there are many other things that have changed dramatically over the past few months. The role of leadership if you, let's think about the micromanagers for a second, you know, the micromanagers were in the office with you and they were looking at, let me see if I is in the office, you know, doing the podcast. Oh, you know, it's 10 a.m. and if I is not around, you know, if I, where are you, I don't see you in the office, you know, it's at 10 a.m. You should be working. Now they don't have that option. Because they can't really see you all the time. So even the role of leadership, especially for those who are micromanagers is changed because we have noticed that we are still operating, that our our organizations are are fighting back and are surviving without those micromanagers. So, So the role of leadership is also changing. So what I'm trying to say here is that we need to look at all the things that have changed in the past four or five weeks and think which of those things is sustainable in time. What things that we were doing before should never, ever come back to the workplace again. What things that we were doing before were working fine, they needed some tweaking, and now we can, you know, once we get out of this pandemic, we can continue to do going forward. So this right now is the one social global experiment and the one opportunity for us to do, to, to make global changes to the way we work and the way things happen. Of course, there are many other things that I could be talking about. The fact that now we are unearthing something that we knew it was happening, but, you know, inequality, for example, in the access to education, inequality in the access to technology, inequality in the access to healthcare. In America, people are, you know, just to give you one example, 30% of people who are uh, um, on, on lease lease, in for apartments or houses, they will not be able to pay for rent in July. That is just that that is just not fair. Mm -hmm. Yesterday I was reading that during the pandemic, almost six million people lost their jobs. Lost their, I'm sorry, lost their health insurance, partially because they lost their jobs. That that's, you know, we have to come to a place where we say, you know what? This pandemic is a horrifying thing. But if we continue to do the same things that we have done for a long period of time, then we're going to be extending this horrific situation, even beyond the pandemic. So we got to do something about this. From the workplace perspective, it is trust. It is finding new ways of work. It is better leveraging on technology. It is putting the human in the center of everything that we do. It is changing the way we think and we operate in, in, when it comes to leadership. And um, Maybe the last thing that I want to say is I, 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 I am seeing a new social role of the organization organizations, especially private companies, becoming much more um, much more attuned to the, to the times that we're living in, you know, in the United States we're going through right now, not only the pandemic, but also the virus of racism. Mm. And, you know, unfortunately, you know, racism has been empowered and, and um, fostered by our very government. And, and what's happening here in the United States right now is that many companies, private companies are standing up, and taking a social stance and saying, I don't agree with that. You have, for example, NASCAR. NASCAR is traditionally a white America, more conservative America kind of a sport, if you will.
0: Yeah.
1: And NASCAR said recently, we're banning all Confederate flags from our, uh, from our uh, sport, from our facilities, from our cars and whatnot. That is a big social stance to the things that are happening today. And I'm happy to see that. And I hope that we can extend that uh, over time so that's those are some of the changes that I'm seeing in the workplace and society in general if you will
0: brilliant oh, that's great is there anything else that you see as kind of an opportunity in relation to how we could facilitate this change so one of the really strong themes to come out from from the entire conversation is this idea of trust and I suppose like how how do we start to uh, trust other people? If you're a manager, how do, you, how do you start to trust your team more? Or if you are an individual, an employee, um, how do you elicit that trust in your own manager?
1: That's a great question. And I think from the, from the leader's perspective, if you are sitting in a leadership position, I mean, there are many ways in which you can do this. I think one of the most powerful ones is presenting yourself as the human that you are. Coming forward and saying, you know what, guys, I, you know, you are in pain and you are suffering and you are going through all this emotional roller coaster. me too. And you know what? You have questions about whether you're going to keep your job, what's going to happen with the company? Are we going to be around next week? I do have those questions too. And if you want answers from me, the answer to that is I don't have the answers. You know, we got to do this together. Let's put all this, you know, let's put all the problems that we're dealing with on the table and let's find together the solutions that we need in order to do things better and to respond to these, you know, complex challenges that we're dealing with. So to me, when you present yourself as the human that you are and not as the machine that you have tried to present yourself, you know, as, you know, for a long period of time, you're going to be creating an environment where other people will be more empowered to come forward and say, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, thank you for saying that I'm also scared. You know, I, I'm, you know, I, I, I need my job. I am a single parent. I have, you know, four kids at home. I work three shifts. And, and, and when you say that I feel empathy. And now I am more, uh, you know, uh, empowered to come forward and talk about my reality and say the things that are happening to me and, and work for the, for the sustainability of the organization and for me keeping my job, if you will. Mm-hmm. So that to me is powerful, presenting yourself as as leader, uh, as a human leader. There's one nice story that uh, somebody told me about her CEO. This person is the CHRO of a company. Uh, the CEO, now the company is everybody's working from home. So the CEO has three kids, like a dog and a couple of cats or something like that. So he was doing town hall meetings on, on Zoom, you know, for the company and he was connecting from the bathroom because that was the only place where nobody could find him and that he was quiet. But he was using a virtual background. So nobody really knew that he he was in the bathroom, only the CHRO. So the CHRO told the guy, you know what? Don't use the virtual background. Let everybody know that you're connecting from from the bathroom. Because when you do that, the other person that is turning off the camera, because it's also connected from the bathroom, will say, I feel that I can do it because I'm not going to be judged because my situation is not unique to me. It is similar to what others are going through. That is presenting yourself as a human being. Vulnerably, you know, with all the, the things that you're going through, that to me is a great example of presenting yourself as a human being. Connect from the bathroom and just show the back, show the shower in the background and let everybody know I'm connecting from here because otherwise my kids will be running around, the dog will be barking, the cat will be jumping on the desk and we, we, we're going to get distracted.
0: Yeah, yeah. So that that to
1: me is a, is a great story on 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 um, on leaders becoming more human and building the 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 infrastructure for trust, if you will.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's probably the only room in the house that has a lock on the door.
1: <laughs> probably, yeah. If at all, you know, I'm I'm sure that the kids are daddy, 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 daddy. You know, yeah. and. Uh, Fortunately, you know, I think he wasn't interrupted in a while. But I'm glad to hear that he wasn't using the 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 virtual background anymore. Yeah, no, no, showing himself as you know this quiet, really
0: mm -hmm. really relatable as well. Um, I, I loved what you said there, Enrique. So really, kind of boiling it down, in order to build trust, it's about being human at work, showing your own vulnerabilities. Um, and I suppose sharing those vulnerabilities with other people and being really transparent about what you know versus what you don't know. And, you know, yeah, just being
1: human. It really comes down to that. You know, know, what if all that we talked about today, all of it can be summarized in that, in what you just said, is (laughs) being human. Yeah. You know, we're not asking people, you know, we have been asked, People to be machines for a long period of time,
0: mm.
1: so become emotionless, empathyless. Uh, you know, to become more rigid and 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 uh, and, and you know uh, hard. Uh, you know, with a thicker skin. When when they look at other people, other people's problems, even when they are going through the same thing, they have to show themselves as you know, I'm the leader, or I am this, and I cannot you know shed a tear because then people will say that I'm weak. I think that right now it is the time where everybody is allowed to be human. We, it, it should have been like this all the time, yeah. Uh, but it wasn't. And I, I think that this is a great opportunity for us to, to show ourselves as human and, and to say, you know what, I, I am afraid, you know, I am, you know, I, I, you know, I talk about all these things future of work, I'm optimistic. I think we're going to see a lot of suffering in the world in the next few months. I think, you know, I think, I think we have not seen yet the worst of this tragedy yeah, because, you know, you think about a country like the United States and still things are operating. We haven't really seen the economic uh, total fallout yeah. of this crisis. And the, okay. when it happens,
0: it's, here, yeah. it's gonna,
1: you know, the entire uh, global economy will be brought down again, like in 2008. The only difference of course now is that unfortunately uh, we have, you know, we have a virus that creates a different set of, Circumstances, as opposed to what happened in 2008, where people were just like selling coffee out on the streets. Now they cannot do that, um, so that that scares me, to be honest. Yeah. But I think being human and being open and vulnerable about these conversations help us vent with each other, create more rapport with each other's feelings, mm. and together say, you know what, we're dealing with the same freaking thing. Let's try to find solutions together.
0: Yeah,
1: and I'm hoping that in the long term we export, like we do you know, with a file, that we export the resilience and the, and the capabilities that we have learned from this crisis to the other simultaneous crises that we're dealing with in the world, inequality, climate change, political and social unrest in many countries in the world. I'm hoping that all that we're learning through this crisis is exported and utilized to resolve some some of those other crises, if you will.
0: Great. So the question I ask everyone who comes on the podcast, Enrique, what makes you happier at work?
1: That I can be myself, when I can be myself.
0: Brilliant. I love it. When I can be myself, yeah. If if I'm
1: able to be myself in in a sense where, you know, with my vulnerabilities, with my strength, with my gaps, with the things that I'm not good at and with the things that I want to do, but I'm not given an opportunity to do, I think that to me is what makes me happier i i prefer somebody telling me hey enrique i know you love doing podcasts but you know you know we cannot do the podcast in this organization yet because well you know we are working in this secret project and once we don't once we, we, we get it done maybe you know in a year from now you can do the podcast i prefer somebody being transparent with me rather than ignoring the fact that people want to do things and they are not allowed to be
0: to, yeah to do them. yeah you
1: know so i i like transparency even when the transparency is bringing inside hard uh, and tough decisions. Yeah, 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 I, I yeah. prefer that than hiding, you know, behind a desk or under a desk and not telling people things they they should know.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. And if people want to find out more about you or hacking HR, would you like to share some information about how they can find out or about the events that you run, anything like that?
1: Sure, all all on the website hackinghr.io. And they can look me up on LinkedIn and Rick Rubio. And, uh, you know, I've, I'm super active on LinkedIn all the time. So they can find me in there and follow me and, and, you know, look at the things that we are working on.
0: Brilliant. That's great. Thank you so much for your time today. Really, really enjoyed our conversation. Could have gone on, <laughs> could have gone on well, for you. much longer, but uh, really, really enjoyed that. Thank you so much thank for you. your
1: time. Thank you so much. Thank you.
0: I wanted to, first of all, apologise for the sound quality for the last couple of minutes. Uh, We we lost some sort of connection there towards the end, Uh, so I just wanted to acknowledge that and apologise. Hopefully you're still able to hear what Enrique had to say. We're just really wrapping things up, and I will put all of his links into the show notes anyway. That was Enrique Rubio from Hacking HR, and we covered quite a lot of topics today, Um. I wanted to recap on some of the key points that were made. So we talked initially about creativity and the fact that creativity tends to be educated out of us. So whether that's in a school system or even in the workplace where you come, where you have all of these bright ideas and actually you're encouraged maybe not to be creative, to to remain with the status quo. And there's a huge opportunity for businesses to create the freedom for people to be curious and to be more innovative in the workplace and have the freedom to create more. Trust seems to have been quite a kind of a a thread running throughout the podcast. And interestingly, that seems to be coming up more and more. Um, it's a really, really interesting topic, absolutely. And one of the things that um we talked about around trust was this idea of hiring the wrong people. So making sure that initially you're hiring the right people, because if you don't trust the people that you hire, then they're not the right people. Uh, We also spoke along that same vein about having the right people in the right roles. So making sure that people have that right fit within the organisation. The other aspect to that then is this idea of micromanaging. So it's telling people what to do, how to do it, when to do it, when actually it should be the other way around. You should be hiring people who are already talented and they're coming to you, bringing you the ideas that they have. We talked about being inspired to learn beyond the workplace. So most people will invest in themselves to learn and to grow and develop as a human And they're taking those skills, but they're not necessarily being utilised in the workplace. We spoke as well about the impact of poor performers and the impact that that has on the entire team and the entire organisation. And what to do about that, really. I mean, it's really nipping it in the bud. So if that happens, then it needs to be managed properly. And in order for it to be managed properly, you need to have the right leaders in place who are able to have those conversations. We spoke about what might be driving that sense of micromanagement and this idea of uh, feeling insecure and coaching could be something that that helps with that. We spoke about the concept of creating a space, so creating that psychological safety within the organisation where people feel that they can trust and that they can share how they're feeling. Enrique as well spoke about Jim Collins in his book saying that most people when they join an organisation, tend to be motivated and inspired, and the job of the leader is to not unmotivate them and uninspire them. So really making sure that you're not doing that. And one quick fire way to do that, and I know this from personal experience, is to micromanage someone. It's really, really demotivating. We talked about the balance between providing enough spore providing enough support and providing enough challenge for someone to remain interested in the role and the organisation. Really everything we spoke about boils down to being more human at work. So being free to show your vulnerabilities, being transparent about what's going on as much as you can be and having empathy for other people as well. As always, I love hearing your feedback on the podcast. I love the interaction that happens on social media. Feel free to tag me on Instagram, on Twitter, on LinkedIn and get the conversation going about what does it really mean to be human at work and are you allowed to be human at work? If you know someone who would enjoy listening to this podcast, absolutely feel free to hit the share button. You should be able to share it across social media or through WhatsApp. The podcast for the last few weeks has been spaced out a little bit because I'm in the process of finishing my dissertation for my master's, which I have just submitted, thankfully. And I should be back to a regular schedule of every week from now on. I'll speak to you again next week. Well, there you have it. Thanks for listening to the Happier at Work podcast with Aoife O'Brien. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button and don't forget to rate and review the podcast.